You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. My name is Josie, and today we are joined by my new friend, Ash Kingsland. Ash, how are you? Hi. I'm great. How are you? Chillin'. Um, You know, I just got my braces (laughs) tightened today, so loving life. (laughs) It's all good. But Ash, tell us, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us all your cool professional slash non-professional titles. If you have any that you want to share. Hi, puppy. I love <laughs> my you. Dog might, my dog might be barking right now. So that's okay. <laughs> so I love my it. name is Ash. Um, I guess professionally. <laughs> You're good. Um, so professionally, I work in finance. Um, oh my gosh. Of course, he starts barking right now. Um, yeah. So I work in finance, but outside of, outside of finance, it's pretty boring. Um, outside of finance, I am a poet and I am an artist. And um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of writing projects that I'm working on would like to become a published author someday. We, I've submitted some manuscripts, but we're going to be waiting to hear back from those. Um, so yeah, I guess that's just me professionally. <laughs> I love it. We're um, twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you oh often my- work in finance? No, I don't. I'm not that smart. Um, I was going to be a business major, and then I decided after an accounting class that I did pretty well in, by the way, everybody, but I decided that I hated it. I hated numbers, uh, uh, which is funny. Cause yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I also hate numbers. <laughs> Give me just a second. I'll put him in the other room. Because You're good. Crazy. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry, he is a nut. That's um, okay. I got four of my own, so I get it. At, but he just randomly. <laughs> I was, I, he was like quiet and being good this entire time, and then of course, as soon as we hit record, he decides he wants to start barking at things. Um, but yeah, um, I actually don't like numbers, but I'm just so happen to be good at them. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, and I switched my major about five times in college. So um, finally just got out of there with what I could. And I'm kind of just doing that to survive and support my side passions, which is mostly um, comprised of writing. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's very Charles Bukowski, right? I mean, he hated working in a post office and look at him still. Poet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we're trying. We're trying. I know. Ash, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started on today's interesting topic that I don't want to tease just yet unless you read the title then. <laughs> whatever just you didn't read the title yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so a little bit of my background so I definitely I grew up in what I guess would be considered a Christian household I wouldn't say that my family was the way that my family was connected to the church is kind of hard to explain and I feel like my story with the church is kind of a generational story because um 
church was kind of used as a way to deal with trauma in my family. <laughs> um, if I don't want to give, you know, too much of my parents story just cause it's not mine to tell, but they, um, both kind of came from, um, poor backgrounds, um, a lot of addiction, addiction in their background. Um, and they lost, lost a child. And in that time, um, the church, they kind of viewed it as their, um, rescue. Like it came in, it saved them, turned their life around and they kind of lived their lives in this weird in like debt to the church. Um, so they served a lot when I was younger, Um, and we always had to go to church, but since my parents didn't grow up Christian, I don't feel like they really ever dove into the doctrine of the church. Um, they were just kind of, um, always volunteering, always encouraging us to go to church, but not really understanding, I guess, fully what the church was really teaching us. It was kind of just something that they were like, okay, this like saved our lives. So we're going to like pass this down to you. And they have this like intense loyalty to the church that I also think was passed down to me. But for them, I feel like there was less of an understanding of what um, they were actually believing it was more so just this like service to the church. So <laughs> that is, um, my relationship to the church, um, I guess in my, my story or whatever, um, I always grew up. Um, I feel like I personally, um, took the faith really seriously. And, um, but then one day, um, so I actually have, um, native ancestry. So my, my grandma's native, she was adopted. So we kind of got displaced from our culture through that adoption. And I remember asking, you know, I was always a very spiritual person and I was always um, very connected to my Christianity. But when I was kind of exploring other religions and exploring my ancestry more, I asked, you know, why don't we um, have, you know, some of these like native religious traditions in our home? Um, cause I was very interested in that. And well, my mom and my mom's reaction was very interesting to me. She said, I would love to be connected to our, you know, to this history, but it's seen as almost pagan or mm. witchcraft mm-hmm. from the church. And so there was this severance between my family because of the church that was like, somewhere along the line, um, it's kind of hard to talk with them about it, but somewhere along the line, they had this severance from the church because it was viewed as witchcraft. It was viewed as pagan. It was viewed as not, um, not able to be incorporated into the church. And so when I, or into the version of Christianity that we were operating under. So I think ever since I heard that it, that phrase of my mom comparing it to witchcraft really stuck with me and I got really curious about it. So that is what kind of has inspired me to look into the relationship with Christianity and natives over time. And I think that has brought me to this place of, I, once you open the box and you look at from the first contact with natives and Christianity onward, it just unravels this. It feels like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. Um, there's real people with names and faces to all of it, but just the way that Christianity has like impacted the native community and how it has really just, um, the way that you see Christianity interact with the natives and like the first contact all the way today, 
um, just honestly, I think is a mirror to the bigger story that I see over and over of Christianity, just um, having this <laughs> deep rooted colonialism and just this erasure of other cultures. And you see that from, from the very beginning of Christianity, you see this mm. story over and over again of Christianity, just erasing um, lots of different cultures. And so I found a way to kind of connect that with me personally, with um, my um, I'm from the Eastern band of Cherokees. Um, so the, our reservation is in North Carolina. That's the one that I grew up. Um, I will, I just do, I do want to acknowledge I, I am socially positioned as white. I grew up white, grew up displaced from this culture. So, um, I don't want people to be like, Oh, you know, this is a firsthand account from like a native person. Everything I've learned has been from research, um, and like when I was younger, it was almost kind of touristy the way that we interacted with our culture. We would go and visit, we would talk to people and then it was kind of like this big event and then we would leave and it was just like, oh, that was fun. Um, so I have like taken my native history as like a responsibility to kind of learn about the history of people. So everything that I am telling, um, is based on my research, um, based on conversations that I've had with native people, um, and I really do try to vet my sources and try to make sure that they're good sources because I do feel, um, if I want to like have a, you know, claim to this ancestry, I do feel like kind of a responsibility to make sure that I am not, uh, telling it through white lens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of, I guess, like my background to, and I guess I did kind of reveal the topic, but <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, so it was I your topic kind of... to reveal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am so fascinated one, because I am Mexican American. So by blood, mm -hmm. I am half native American. Although it gets tricky when you're Mexican mm -hmm. because our tribes, were kind of i mean i'm not gonna go around saying i'm aztec you know because oh my god that's so yeah, far yes <laughs> i have no connection to that like culture i have a historical mm -hmm. connection like you but it's it's kind of different mm -hmm. it's so far removed right like nobody's really aztec anymore yes. um so mm -hmm. I, I find it fascinating because yeah. like you my parents my grandma was catholic because colonization was kind of like longer history of mm -hmm. colonization over here <laughs> so the spanish brought catholicism yes. whatever 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 but my grandma then converted to apostolic pentecostal christianity and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden everything was fucking the devil okay everybody everything was satanic <laughs> even the saints are satanic the catholics yes. are satanic but yeah like mm -hmm. one ancient practice that my people do is Dia de los Muertos. So we do like a day of the dead. We mm -hmm. connect with people um, who have passed. But in my family, that is not acceptable. Like skulls, mm -hmm. all the imagery <laughs> is all satanic. And yes. so on that front, oh my gosh, can I relate? Because I think like, wow, <laughs> I want to connect with my ancestors. Yeah. I want to remember the people mm -hmm. that I've lost. <laughs> I have a skull inside of my exactly. head. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, 
yeah exactly yeah it's definitely interesting it's like definitely kind of a complicated relationship because i think especially when you have native ancestry there's like kind of two voices that are happening there's the voice that's saying um you know when honestly you know when i when i talk to people um that are more connected that are you know on the reservations they're practicing um you know in in the culture um they're still in that placement um still very much connected when i'm talking to them it's like you know um i remember the first time asking native i was like you know sometimes i i know that i have um and i'm and i i guess percentage wise i do have like a uh, high enough percentage to be on the dows list but um but when I, I i remember the first time being like you know i'm white i kind of feel weird saying that i'm cherokee like that just it feels wrong to me and especially because all the white people, people say wrong. they're cherokee <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like the one <laughs> oh, and i know and then like and then the i know and like it's i remember like being when i would tell it when i did tell people always being met with um oh, you're white. You're just trying to say you're a Cherokee princess. I'm like, Cherokees don't even have princesses, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but when you talk, when you talk with the native people, they're like, well, if you look at even like our tribal council, like there are people that are hundred percent native that are white. Um, and it's interesting because I think <laughs> when it comes to um, native peoples, the government has done a really good job of kind of giving this, um, this blood percentage count and so using it as a way to erase the native peoples mm. and the thing that and the thing that when i talked to the natives and i was like to, you know talking about how i kind of wanted to reconnect and if i had any claim to that identity and they're like if you are taking responsibility to learn about our culture and learning because i'm you know trying to learn the language and stuff too they're like we once want people if you're going to claim this ancestry we want you to learn about our culture we want you to carry on traditions we want to say that we're here because mm. the government especially government is continuously trying to find ways to take away native sovereignty um to take away um just to continuously like diminish the people because you see um right now um i believe there's some there's a case going to trial right now between oklahoma and the supreme court soon which is a little bit scary um but you know you see continuously the u.s government trying to deny um native sovereignty and um native existence so i think as long if you're a white person and you're listening to this and you're wanting to um claim that i don't i i won't i won't be the one to give you permission but i will say if you are wanting to connect to that ancestry um i would i take it as a um almost like a responsibility to educate yourself on the culture and the traditions and the history because it is fascinating and <laughs> um and it is important and um yeah i so that is what i'm trying to do and reconnecting with that and spiritually um i don't identify as christian anymore um so for me, this has kind of been how I've been reconnecting with my spirituality is like through this new lens of um, what my ancestors believed and um, kind of seeing how um, how they've interacted over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> Sick. Well, um, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, your experience with seeing the erasure of who you are and your people from like a personal standpoint like with your experience in the church like how do you think that the current modern day mm -hmm. evangelical church plays into this erasure 
I I think that is a little bit of a complicated question to ask because I think um, when when I reached out to this podcast, I think what um, kind of inspired me to do so is the fact that people don't realize just how far back the systematic um like the way that the church is today it's it has um very historical roots and it has been set up very intentionally and in that intentional setup it has not allowed for there to be a deviation from what is considered the one truth and Yes, you have different denominations. I've been a part of many, um, but there is kind of this agreement on these core things. Um, and there's this marriage um, of the church, the Christian, the modern day church with um, right wing conservative ideals. And even I think when you, when you come across, you know, like these liberal or uh, more accepting or more woke churches, whatever you want to call them, um, that is seen as an outlier. That's not seen as the normal for the Mm. modern church. That's kind of seen as an exception to the rule. But I think what people don't realize is that that marriage, um, of that kind of right-wing doctrine, which like we can get into, um, is very intentional mm-hmm. and it is it has like i said there are people with names there are faces there is funding there is money like there is like all of this evidence for why the church is set up the way it is today and why because of how the roots and how it is set up why you see that the church cannot allow for deviation from this mainstream doctrine because it loses its power <laughs> Ooh, tell um, us more <laughs> yeah so um if you don't mind i'm actually going to go back to the beginning of christianity and yeah. first contact with no, natives yeah. because i think yeah i think the story that you see with the native peoples is actually still being mirrored today um the way that the um christians tried to um kind of erase the natives people you're still seeing that with them erasing people's identities today mm. um erasing the identities of LGBTQ people um of you know just anyone that outside that or you know any cultures or traditions that fall outside of the christian norms you will still see um people in the christian community um so fearful of other cultures and other religions because it's not christian or it's mm. not proper christian um especially in the western church i think in the eastern church there's a little bit more flexibility sometimes but especially in the western church is a very particular type of christianity um so i think i think um I don't know how common knowledge it is. I don't want to assume, but we know that Christianity has a colonist history um, Amen. from the Roman Empire <laughs> onward. Um, the Christianity has been used to justify wars. It's been used to justify the Crusades. It has been used to justify just blatantly genociding um, many people. And I think we know that, but in particular in the Americas, um, we know that there were native peoples before, you know, settlers came to America. And in that first contact, I think what people don't realize is we assume that Christianity came and they um, wanted to convert the natives because, um, and this is like their terms, they were uncivilized, um, savage. um, They were 
uh, didn't fit in with proper society. And the missionaries were using religion as an attempt to quote unquote, civilize the natives. And I think that's the story that we've been told. However, when you actually look at first contact with the natives and religion, you will see that natives did have existing civilization. They had existing systems of trade. They had um, established societies. Um, they, they had, um, they just had a lot more going for them and a lot more power than I think we give them credit for. Mm. Um, a lot of the quote unquote uncivilization, you know, when people came across these empty, um, native, um, native places where they had lived, a lot of that was due to disease reaching the people even before the people reached the people. So sometimes you would come across like almost empty civilizations of um, native people and the people that did survive, you know, they were barely surviving from disease at times. So it was easy for settlers to kind of take this narrative of um, these people are uncivilized. Um, these people don't have um, structure. They don't have a proper society structure. That wasn't really true at all. And you can actually see that with the first interactions between missionaries and native peoples. And um, the native peoples and the missionaries would actually have very deep, like philosophical religious debates with one another. And the thing was, is the natives were very resistant to, um, to being, um, uh, preached to. And when the missionaries were trying to convert them to Christianity, um, the natives kind of saw through their bullshit because they were pointing out they're like, you are using this to, um, to try to further your French social and political domination. We can see what you're doing here. And they would ask really good questions. They would ask like, um, how can you, cause they would say like, um, Oh, you, you know, they would use the sphere of God to try to get them to convert. And like, you have to convert or else you're going to hell. And natives would ask questions like, um, you know, how is that, that, um, you know, your God can punish me for, you know, you're saying even my thoughts can be sin. Everything I can do can be sin. And I have to like convert to this God to be forgiven my sin. And it's like, how can I be forgiven for something if I don't even know it's sin? Or, um, why would I want to go to your heaven if my ancestors aren't there? Um, why, um, how can I be like held accountable to a religion that I've never been exposed to? That doesn't really seem fair. Like that doesn't mm. seem, um, it just didn't match up with kind of the natives ideas of, um, you know, um, spiritual fluidity and kind of this ability for multiple things to be true at once. Um, this idea that, you know, everything is connected, um, and to respect everything and, you know, having this like relationship between, um, like nature and each other and, uh, you know, having that symbiotic relationship and that continuing on and kind of to the afterlife. So it's not like the missionaries came and they were like, Oh, we have this truth. And then the natives were just like outright, like, you know, either they thought it, they were just like, Oh no, no, no. Or they were like, Oh yes, yes, yes. You know, we'll convert whatever the natives, I think because of their, um, like nature of having the spiritual fluidity, they were curious about Christianity. They were asking questions, but when they were asking questions, they were poking holes 
right in to the doctrine. Sorry. And it just, um, no, you're fine. They were poking holes into their doctrine and they were saying some stuff's not adding up here. And, you know, you say that this is good news and that, you know, when we're baptized, you know, like we're going to be renewed and stuff, but then you turn around and you kill us and you, um, and you betray us and, um, smallpox and the settlers brought smallpox. And a lot of times when they baptize natives, um, that would pass on that disease. So they were seeing, you know, we get baptized and then we get diseased. Um, so like to them, you, it was like, you're preaching us this good news. And to us, it's not good news to us. It is just, um, bringing death. It's bringing destruction. It is, um, not doing well for us to believe in your God. And, um, so most natives resisted, um, being converted. However, this, this resistance, um, wouldn't be able to last because what we see, and you can see it, especially in the Cherokee people is conversion somewhere along the line began to become a method of survival. Um, Mm. because, (laughs) because, um, hold on, let me, uh, look at my notes here um i love that you have notes you're prepared wow (laughs) oh yes no like i said like i i don't want to like accidentally say something that um i'm very uh about having my research and my sources so (laughs) um all that but uh, so um, I kind of lost my train of thought, honestly. Um, okay. So yeah. So we see that the natives, um, kind of began incorporating Christianity in their culture as a means of survival. So, um, as America is expanding and, um, you know, America is very land hungry. Um, but the natives have some natives, you know, fought alongside them in the revolutionary war. Um, natives have been like trying to establish trade, um, trying to, um, establish kinship with the settlers. Cause they realize they're not going anywhere. So they're like, we're going to, you know, try to reach some common ground here. Um, and <laughs> the American government is like, okay, we have this problem now because, um, especially the Cherokees in particular, they hold a power over, um, the Ohio Valley and then Virginia Valley. And those are areas that we want. And they've kind of, you know, served alongside of us. How basically, how do we get that land? Um, how do we, um, and there's kind of two schools of, um, there was the civilization with honor thought, which is like, if we can get them to convert to Christianity, then we can get them to convert to our ideas of what should be like and our ideas of what government should look in our ideas of how we want to operate business because the Cherokees had, like I said, they were very spiritually fluid. Um, they, um, had a different level of, of acceptance when it came to like, um, sexual identity um they had very different ideas about marriage they had their own culture and they had a very strong foothold with um their tribes um they had a very strong influence and they're like how can we get them to basically convert to christianity because we get them to convert to christianity we can kind of uh take a deeper hold of that um 
power. Like we want to have power over these people. Um, and so there was like that school of thought that was like civilization with honor, let's convert them. And then there was also the school of thought that was, um, let's just get rid of them. Let's just relocate them. And you see this tension build. Um, some Cherokees decide to start revolting. Um, they just tried to, you know, um, tried to fight um, against the missionaries and against um, the American government. They tried to start like coming to these revolutions. And um, then you also had some Cherokees that were like, well, we can kind of take this two roads approach. Um, we can incorporate Christianity, but we're not going to give up our culture. We can um, accept your God, but like, we're not going to stop, you know, our religious practices our um, our cultural traditions. And that wasn't good enough um, for, for the people that were trying to convert them. Because if you allow a culture to, to hold on to this ancestral identity and to hold on to these cultures and these practices, you lose the very power that you are trying to establish over them because you have to be able to say, we have the one answer. We have the one truth. We have the one way that is right to exist in society. And for, the Cherokees to say, well, can it exist alongside of our, you know, our history and our traditions? That's not going to work. It's not going to be good enough for the person that is trying to overpower them. Mm. And so, um, the, and, and it's really sad because then you get, um, obviously you get Andrew Jackson and fuck and Andrew, Andrew Jackson. Jackson <laughs> fuck Andrew Jackson. Honestly, <laughs> fuck this guy. But <laughs> unfortunately, um, you know, Andrew Jackson wouldn't have been able to accomplish what he accomplished if there wasn't people before him that were also setting precedent. Um, the great removal, the Trail of Tears that everyone mm. remembers, isn't the first removal of the Cherokee people. There was also um, groundwork removal in 1806, 1809, 1817, 18, and then 1828, 1829. And then you see, you know, the great removal. So there had been leaders before that were laying the groundwork. Um, then again, kind of going back to my mom's comment, there is this language of their pagan witchcraft, um, their medical ceremonies are witchcraft. Um, they are a danger to our society. Um, they're a danger, they're a threat to our religion. They're a threat to us. And so with that narrative, when Jackson comes into power, um, and he really makes it his focus, his like main focus to get rid of the Cherokee people, you see his success because there has been this groundwork that's been laid. Um, and you know, obviously he's successful. So, um, yeah. and I'd like to point out for one second, everybody, <laughs> that pagan is a very specific religion. Witchcraft is very mm -hmm. specific. Like it's not just like oh, yeah. everything can be pagan or everything can be witchcraft. Those are practices. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I find it so interesting that I feel like, you know, how this connects with the modern church today, you still see this like massive labeling of things as pagan or witchcraft. And it's like, 
it's basically like you're saying anything that doesn't agree with what you want to use as your one truth you just want to label as other and in order for that other to be dangerous you have to use like these in this inflaming language of um like witchcraft paganism like these like keywords which is also very and white so and eurocentric <laughs> like those are all white people doing all oh, that yeah. stuff <laughs> exactly exactly like i said like in eastern um and like Eastern practices of Christianity, you don't see a lot of, um, I feel like what I see in like Western church of this, like such loyal commitment to, um, capitalist ideals and to like, just, I don't know. It, it's just, it's incredibly frustrating because mm. you know that there is another way. And, um, and I feel like Western Christianity just, makes it seem as though there isn't um and that is just it's very intentional um <laughs> the i mean the christian church like i said it's been politicizing you know since the 14th since the fourth century by constantine and the crusades and all that but western christian church um was literally bought out <laughs> um, it was um married to capitalism married to right-wing values and i'm not just saying that as you know i i am you know more liberal but i'm not just saying that just to say that it's you know you see this evidence everywhere and you see um <laughs> you see in the news all the time how um, the right wing just loves to rally the church behind their causes. And they love to say like, oh, you know, true Christianity, well, you're going to vote red because it's mm. the Christian way to vote. Um, Which is in itself you know, a very the, modern thing. Yeah. That is from the 1900s, 1950s, 60s. Like the right wing Republican Party mm -hmm. decided that they needed the Christian voting block. Mm -hmm. Which is, but they were also yes. primed for that, right? Like that could not have happened if it was not just yeah. in its DNA. Yeah. And so, yeah. So the marriage of the right wing to the Christian church actually happened. Um, the, and the way that we see it today, um, it happened in the wake of, so America was on the brink of a socialist revolution um, around the time of FDR and the New Deal. Um, and capitalists were getting really scared because there was all of these protests. They were really violent protests and they were working. Um, there was um, this push for like more socialist um, policies. Um, you get the election of FDR and you get um, all of these capitalists and these big businessmen being scared because they're going to start getting taxed mm -hmm. if these go through. <laughs> um, and, and as their reaction to that, they are trying to come up a way of how can we get people to hop off of this socialist propaganda, or, you know, the socialist propaganda or like, you know, the socialist idea, how can we keep that from coming into fruition in America? Because if that happens, we're going to start getting taxed. We're going to lose our, um, we're going to lose our property. We're going to lose our businesses. We're going to lose, you know, we're going to lose whatever. <laughs> and so, capitalists um once the red scare hits in the 1930s capitalists start to use this as an opportunity to label socialism as 
um, new paganism because the Christians, you know, during this wake of this almost socialist revolution that happened, um, a lot of the Christian churches were calling for these socialist policies, um, because, you know, feeding the poor, doing the things that Jesus said, it all lines up in scripture. Um, but, um, capitalism with the red scare happens and you see this big fear of the USSR communism um capitalists see this as an opportunity let's label socialism as the same thing as communism and let's call it all pagan and let's call it a threat to christianity and to religion because if we can get the religious people afraid of it then it won't happen because the church had such a strong, had such a stronghold in America's beginnings from the very foundation had such a strong influence over the people. That was like where people got their information, got their community. So capitalists were like, how can we get the church to turn against these socialist ideas? Um, and it's a long process. It doesn't happen. They actually kind of failed the first time. They um, they fa- they um, create the NAM, which is the National Association of Manufacturers. Um, and the NAM partners with this. Um, he was kind of like the first mega church pastor. He was this very charismatic pastor in LA. His name is Reverend Fifield. And he was um, basically going to, he had been going to business people and basically saying, I will kind of pitch this um, pro-capitalist message if you fund me. And if you fund me, I will like, you know, I'll preach your message. And businessmen were eating it up because they were like, if we can get this guy, you know, preaching our ideas, um, that's great. So the NAM ends up partnering with Reverend Fifield and they end up funding him on these all these spiritual mobilizations across um across America and trying to spread this message. Um, they, the first round of the NIM, um, trying, they actually, um, spent tons of money, what was equivalent to millions at the time into their PR, um, trying to, um, convince people, convince the church that, you know, um, socialism was the new communism. It was pagan. It was, um, anti-Christian and people honestly saw right through it. They were like, this is blatant propaganda. Um, Mm. this is, this isn't, this isn't it. But it had planted the seed. Um, when Reverend Fifield later, you know, kind of comes back, um, he was able to use, um, cause like he said, he was this charismatic preacher. Um, he's able to kind of come back later and kind of pick up where the NAM failed and kind of, um, do it a new way. So he started having, um, So he started having these competitions for um, ministers to create their best sermon on his topic, which was always pro-capitalist and pro like, you know, these kind of right wing ideas. He's like, give me your best sermon. You'll be entered into this lottery to win all this money. Um, And so you kind of start getting ministers that are kind of starting to be like, well, I want to get paid. Um, I, and you kind of see this like slow sellout to Reverend Fifield, um, and this slow conversion, like kind of like almost like grassroots where he's like going around, um, telling people this new message and kind of rebranding the freedom, 
um, that Christianity promise is kind of a, um, rebranding it as almost like freedom to be poor. Like you have the freedom to own property, you know, like these capitalists have the freedom to own property. They have the freedom to get to where they are. And so you have freedom of your own choices. Um, and if you want to be like them, you have the freedom to get kind of like incorporating this, like American dream, you know, like you can get there. It's up to you. Um, and rebranding this like freedom under God to be, to tying it to more, um, free enterprise. Um, so, um, even though the kind of like their first, um, round, like I said, the NAM, when they first, um, tried to put out, you know, this propaganda, once they kind of paired up with Reverend Fivefield, that's kind of when you start seeing this conversion. Um, then they started getting really smart and they, um, created the first, um, kind of like mega church conference where they got 25 of the most popular ministers. Um, they got some celebrities and they got, um, the top business people which interesting combination um and they meet up and they basically start deciding on like how they are going to kind of run with this new rebranding of freedom under god um and there is all of these competitions for sermons um you know and they're going to pick the people that preach what they want people to believe and um you see all these like you know these people getting paid um to preach a certain way and to say a certain truth and to claim it as truth and then you're kind of also at this conference you're giving people a model to follow and you're giving them the language to use to take back to their churches and to then like kind of carry this on out um so (laughs) it's just really interesting um um, how this all worked and a lot of it kind of, it was also just, I think the reason why it was so successful was also just like the pairing of the timing of just, um, historical events. And then, um, and then just, um, the persistence of the capitalist knowing that if they could find a way to marry God and their, honestly, their agenda, then they would have a, um, they would have like the strongest foothold in America. They would be able to control, they would be able to control the American people because, um, people are loyal to the Christian church, um, especially in America. Um, so their biggest event, what really just kind of sealed the deal and really, um, led to what you see today is they decided they wanted to change the 4th of July for forever. Um, so they, they turned the 4th of July. They did a week of events and sermons. They paired again with celebrities, the most popular ministers. Um, it was funded by all these capitalists because of course they're going to pay for it. They're going to preach what they, you know, they want them to preach. Um, and they make this big 4th of July event. There's um, churches everywhere that are preaching the same message kind of in their own words um, and getting everybody kind of riled up. And then, um, and that was when this freedom under God speech was kind of this like theme was really, really put out there. And then it all kind of got tied together with the big 4th of July celebration that was across America. Um, they even had the, 
um, the bomb alarms in California, they had them go off all at the same time. The 4th of July is kind of like this, like, um, like announcement that this was happening. And, um, it's just crazy because scary. you still see today. It's so scary because also at the time, like, you know, that we had just gotten out of, you know, all of this like tension and war and then you hear bomb sirens going off. So terrifying. Um, <laughs> but it's so interesting because they found a way eventually it took some time, but over the course of um, less than a, like, a, like, um, like 20 something years or so, uh, 20, 40 years, over 20, 40 years, they were able by being persistent and by choosing the right people um, and, um, utilizing this this charismatic reverence spiritual mobilization tactic they were able to um tie together christianity with patriotism and patriotism with capitalism and it's it's just insane all of the intentionality that went behind that and after reverend fifield so reverend fifield the problem that they ended up having with him is he wasn't really great with his money and you see they they pass the torch to next i get um is Billy Graham. Of course. So, of course it's fucking Billy Graham. Fuck Billy Graham too. Yeah. So Billy Graham approached the NAM and was like, you know, I am really good at what I do. I'm a really great preacher. I have a lot of ears. If you fund me, I'll carry this. I'll keep this thing going. Um, so, and then you see, and then you mean, obviously, I feel like most people, if you know, if you're even remotely in the Christian um, or deconstructing sphere, you probably know who Billy Graham is, but, um, and Billy Graham, interestingly enough to try to get more, cause there were still kind of like some liberal um, ministers out there. They weren't completely gone. And Billy Graham um, created Christianity, or I don't know if he created it, but um, was a part of Christianity today, the magazine. Um, and, um, was using that to kind of as like a method of giving information to churches, um, and continuing, you know, again, uh, right wing conservative ideas and like really kind of pairing that, giving that as a newsletter. And they took a poll on how many ministers were conservative because they wanted to reinforce the idea that if you're Christian, you're conservative. If you're Christian, you're pro capitalist. If you're Christian, you know, um, they wanted to reaffirm that. So they took this poll, but the poll was taken on a conservative newsletter, um, conservative magazine for ministers. And Billy Graham was like, you know, I know these results are really biased because they're from our own pool of ministers, but let's publish them. And let's say that this really high percentage of ministers are conservative because that is the correct way to be Christian. And it's just, it's just so sad how it just has played out. And I just feel like even today, there's this assumption that if you, I think, you know, maybe there's like some revolt against this now with the younger generation, but especially like in my parents' generation, there's this assumption that if you're Christian, you automatically align with the kind of more right-wing conservative ideals. And because of that, you're more inclined to, um, you're more inclined to listen to, um, you know, these like really conservative right-wing ideas. And anytime someone starts throwing God into the mix, when they're trying to get you to believe whatever they're trying to get you to believe anytime you've got into the mix, it's going to click. It's going to make sense because it's been so deeply 
um, indoctrinated into our churches. It's been so deeply, like intentionally placed into our churches. So of course it's going to make sense to you. Um, of course, when you hear like, um, this pairing of like, you know, God would do this or like, God wants you to be, um, you know, this side of things. God wants you to be, um, God wants you to have the freedom to have as many guns as you want with no gun control. God wants you to be, um, um, anti-choice. Like, it, it it's not a far stretch for them to say God wants you to do these things. And it's not a far stretch for them to say it is an infringement upon your freedom under God. If anyone tells you otherwise, because the phrase freedom under God was intentionally put into our language. It was added to our, um, after the NAM kind of did this um, pairing with the church, that was when it was added to our currency. Um, <laughs> it was after that um, conference that I spoke of earlier that they decided to add it to our currency and really went again with the 4th of July and everything, this idea of preaching this freedom under God and what they really meant was freedom to, um, to be this particular way. And so I think even now I still see, um, it just, it just, for me, it all connects because, um, you see the, in the native peoples being presented and there's like, you know, there's some good here that we could take out of this. I think there's, is some good in, uh, Christianity and it's probably, um, original probably most intended form i'm sure that there is good in it and i think the native people were like i'm sure there's good in this but the way that we've just used and myself included just the way that we have christians have used that as an excuse to claim we have the answers we have the one truth and it's our way or the highway there's one way to god and it's our way and <laughs> And it has to be, you know, kind of through, um, through this, uh, very particular lens. Um, it's this, uh, every single church I went to, it was the same framework, you know, you're a terrible person. Um, you're born bad. You need Jesus to save you and, um, God saves you. And now you are maybe indebted is not the right word, but now you have this responsibility to live out according to God, but then according to God kind of just ends up being whatever that church's particular beliefs are. Um, and there's this erasure of anything that you come to the table with. Um, I feel like a lot of churches, what I've seen it's come as you are, but don't stay as you are like come as you are, but conform to what we want you to be. You need to, there has to be some sort of progress and how else are we going to measure your progress? If we don't have this bench line, this one truth to stick you up against. And that doesn't allow for a lot of diversity. Um, that doesn't allow you to hold on to past beliefs. Um, it doesn't allow you to hold on to those traditions because there's not another way for them to say, um, you're the correct Christian. Like you are, you, you know, there's not another way for them to measure that. And that's important to the church because, um, it's important for, uh, in my opinion, the church is sold out. Um, the church doesn't really serve God. I mean, the church that I know in America doesn't really serve God. It serves the government um, mm -hmm. and, not, and, and the government in the sense of it, it serves, 
it serves this um, weird um, romanticized idea of the American dream and this um, <laughs> this like romanticized idea of how things should be. Um, and it doesn't really take into account other perspectives because for it to take into account other perspectives, it would have to sacrifice its power. Mm. And I just don't, personally, I don't see the church ever doing that. Maybe um, people that are more hopeful than I um would say otherwise um i guess you could say if it was um so easily that we were able to have this kind of marriage again to like this right-wing conservative i you know between christianity maybe it could be quick just as quick to undo it um but i think it would just take a lot i think it would take an overhaul because you still see today on church boards um you still see preachers that um they (sighs) I've been on a lot of different positions in churches and preachers still answer to money. Um, Mm -hmm. It's because elders will be like, you know, if you say this, we're going to lose our funding. If you say this, this person's not going to support us. If you say this, this person on the board, whatever, there's all of these like background politics and it's all connected to money and capitalism and all of these different things. And I, and we still have this preacher centric model in the church and this organization to where um, the preacher is the one source of information and everything else comes out from that. And um, because of that, there's, I just don't think that there's enough room for enough voices to be heard because you still have this figurehead that's just that everybody. And the way, especially in the way that our churches are structured, you go to church once a week and you're expected to receive the truth of God from this one person. And you're entrusting that to this one person. Mm. And it's not really one person. There's a bunch of people behind that one person, but still your, what you are being taught is filtered through that system that is operating behind preacher it's never going to be um in my opinion it's not really going to be um it's never a discussion it's always just the preacher's going to tell you what to believe and you either agree with him or not agree with him and i feel like in sermons i would always hear you know if you don't if you don't believe me read the bible yourself and it's like well what if i reach a different conclusion there's not a conversation that's going to happen there it's just the sermon kind of giving you an instruction of this is what you should believe and let me give you this um kind of let me lay the groundwork groundwork for you to have confirmation bias because if you don't come to the same conclusion as me then you're not reading the text right um so i um i don't know i think the more that i've dove in to um tracing all of these threads um and following you know like this research that I've been conducting over some time, the more it just falls apart for me because um, I just see um, the political corruption of the church. And I, um, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if there's a way for it to be better. Maybe, uh, I don't know if you might be more hopeful than I, but. Um, oh, I'm not. I'm a burn it all down yeah. type of bitch. <laughs> and I work yeah, for a church, but go. I'm still burn it all down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I totally yeah. agree. There's just, it's too ingrained. It's too money is the root of all evil. And the church has really just mm-hmm. put itself on the altar of money and 
what can you do you know it really has yeah i mean <laughs> this has been do? great i am so glad you came <laughs> to educate us thank you so much um plug away at all the things that you have going on yeah um okay so uh, it's hard for me because a lot of my stuff is just not ready yet <laughs> to yeah. be quite honest um i do i do have some poetry published um you can find it on my instagram um it's just ash and kingsland um i have submitted some manuscripts to get published for some poetry um if you're into deconstruction my latest poetry manuscript that i um that i just submitted is um actually a book on it's a poetry book on deconstruction poems um so we'll see how that works out. Um, just want to, you know, keep up. Um, other than that, <laughs> um, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm in the middle of a lot of life changes right now. Um, got a new job and moving and all the different stuff. So, um, yeah, but I would say I'm just actually going to plug some resources. If you, I don't know if I did the best job of summarizing everything, um, but some podcasts, if you want to learn more in depth, like really in depth about, um, the ties that the church has to, um, capitalism, I would recommend the podcast. It's called behind the bastards. Um, and it's called, um, how capitalism ate Christianity. Um, that podcast was kind of the start for me of where, because when you Google this stuff, it's not going to come up. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, um, it's just going to say, Oh, um, conservatism is great. And here, here's a great seminary for you to go to if you want to learn more. Um, so if you want to go there, that was a great place for me to start. And they actually do have all of their sources listed. And then from their sources, you can kind of go to other sources and so forth. Mm. Um, as for learning more about the um, natives interactions with Christians um, and that first contact, um, a lot of my sources um, come from, um, some of it came from the Museum of the Cherokee Indian, um, going to, um, there's multiple sites on, um, and make sure that they're like the certified Cherokee um, history sites. And then um, some of it was firsthand, just like conversations with people. And um, um, when you look up, I would just advise, I guess, if you want to learn more about your native history, I would advise again against the Google search. Um, like when you Google, um, like even Cherokee religion, um, it'll come up. They were shamans and that's just not true. Um, or you'll get like a lot of misinformation. And so if you want to learn more about Cherokee, I met finding um, the indigenous like creators um, and the um, I love research. People want to learn more about that. Um, so yeah, those are just some things I have to recommend. So <laughs> great. I love it. This has been amazing. We'll have to have you back to talk more about this stuff because it is a deep dive, friends. It is. <laughs> I am obsessed it's with such this kind a deep of dive and yeah. it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard. Like, and it's also hard too. Cause I'm like, I don't know how far to go into deep, like with, cause mm -hmm. there's so many threads to pull. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I would definitely love to come back. Um, 
but yeah thank you so much for having me it was great yeah just talk about this someone i feel like this is definitely something that i am in the minority of my friend group and so i am like always just plugging away (laughs) we're bringing the information to the masses i love it i love it so much yeah (laughs) well friends as always you can find speaking at church at speaking in church on instagram uh rate review subscribe i know that's a youtube thing but it kind of is the same whatever um if you would like to support the podcast and by support the podcast i mean buy spencer's baby some diapers and formula you can hit that link and buy us a quote-unquote coffee on our instagram um other than that thank you so much for listening and as always stay woke or get woke bye This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.